Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What's up, you guys? Sean Rossap. It is June 4th, 2019. It is the Fightful MMA Podcast. A reminder, we are here this weekend for UFC 238. Uh, live coverage, the post show, uh, live tweets from the presser. We've got it all. Follow at Fightful MMA. You can get boxing tweets, boxing coverage, MMA coverage, MMA tweets, lots of neat little memes, all that good stuff. I am joined today by Showdown Joe. And Showdown Joe, uh, the question I have is, what's the occasion? (laughs) What do you mean? For some reason, the MMA world decided to break news before our show this week. Yes, repeatedly. That is correct. correct. I'm actually happy with the uh, Poye Habib news. But uh, yeah, it's uh, maybe they're finally understanding hey, get this news out before Tuesday, 2 p.m. Eastern. Yeah, I, I wish. I mean, hey, UFC finally added me to their press list. I noticed so, that. I mean, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, con- congratulations. <laughs> we'll see how that ends up. Uh, the moment I have to start traveling more for pro wrestling, the UFC is like, yeah, we'll throw you on a press list. We'll throw you on that. We'll see how that goes. But we've got so much to talk about, Joe. Uh, we're not going to spend as much time on UFC Stockholm. Uh, I covered that at length on uh, – on Saturday, I believe it was Saturday afternoon, but uh, there were there were some highlights on this. Uh, Devin Clark got a win, Bia Malecki got a win, uh, but really the highlight of the prelims. There were two things that stood out to me. Lena Landsberg's performance was very good, mm-hmm. and Leonardo Santos, I, not a walk off KO. It's a run out of the damn arena KO, Joe. That's crazy. Did he return back to the cage though? I don't know. I okay. didn't see it. All right, yeah. Well, that was a great knockout. I mean, the way he timed that perfectly because he had, uh, you know, Nick, or sorry, uh, Stevie Ray came in with a one-two, and then just as he ended the one-two, he did follow up with the right hand, did Santos. So that was a beautiful knockout. Yeah, that was great. And we're in a weird situation here, Joe. Uh, Leonardo Santos has a winning streak going back to the UFC on Fuel era. Oh my God, that's right. Wow, he has uh, never lost a UFC fight. He is now unbeaten in seven fights, but he is 39 years old and never fights, Joe. Since 2016 rolled around, 
rolls around, he's got two fights. Uh, he needed that performance of the night bonus, I would imagine. Anytime you don't fight in two and a half years and you get 50K extra, that's good. What do you do with a Leonardo Santos? How do you handle this? A guy who has no losses in seven fights but never fights. Well, the conversation begins with exactly what you said. He's never lost since the UFC on fuel era. He's undefeated in the UFC. He's at lightweight. A very, oops, sorry about that. Oh, man. Oh, shocker. Leonardo Santos is about to call you and give you his thoughts. It's my son's school, so you could well, just imagine what he's doing right now. Um, yeah, he's probably in trouble. Um, but, you know, Leonardo's been competing for a while. He's in a division that's absolutely stacked. That's the thing. It's a, it's a stacked division. It's not like it's a guy competing at uh, a division with less talent. For We'll throw up middleweight or light heavyweight or heavyweight where they can move him up and slot him into a title contender fight. But at the same time, it's one of those things where he's in a very stacked division. It's very difficult for him uh, to get any, any real fights. But the argument from his side is, look, man, we're undefeated here. You got to give us some big fights. But their, their counter will be, you don't fight. Yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree. Uh, we also have Daniel Tamer, who probably shouldn't have been on the main card over Santos or Landsberg, saving his job. Makwan Amir Khani, that was a special one. That submission was nothing short of amazing. And the yeah. struggle that, that went between the two with the anaconda choke and walking around and and avoiding it, I love that, Joe. That was, that was a beauty. Yeah, I mean, Emirkani's submission was great because, you know, I think it was uh, Paul Filder that said it's like he, it's like a clock uh, going forward quickly. He did a great job securing the submission, uh, waited for it correctly, secured it, and then continued to walk around his opponent was defending. It's, that's all you have to do. Keep going, keep going, keep squeezing, keep squeezing. Uh, although I don't think that is the um, technique of the night, to be honest with you. I think the technique of the night, maybe not the submission of the night, but the technique of the night was Joel Alvarez's TKO victory over um, uh, Danilo Boluardo. The way he set up, the Dagestani handcuff. I think it's called the Dagestani handcuff. Is that what it's called? Where yeah. he reached around in a very you know bad position, trapped the arm, and was able to sweep him and then go in for the finish. That is a beautiful technique. That was that's MMA 101, Jiu-Jitsu 101, catch wrestling 101. It was beautiful. I really like that. And obviously the, the main event and the co-main event are going to lead to a couple of talking points for us, which we're going to tie in right after we recap this. Let, let's talk more about the winners than we talk about the people who lost these fights, but Alexander Rakic, man, I have been just trumpeting this 205-pound division for quite a while and the emerging prospects that are involved. You now have one that has won 12 fights in a row in his career. He's not lost since his, his pro debut. And uh, he's 4-0 in the UFC. He set up Jimmy Manoa and just obliterated him with a head kick. Just finished him off. Uh, that was amazing, Joe. That is the type of win that you... What if you are Alexander Rakic and if you're the UFC? Yeah, the only thing I had, the only problem I had with that was the production staff saying, let's watch it again, this time with sound. Let's hear that <laughs> shin or that foot go across his skull. Like, oh, guys, really? Uh, especially me coming off a Ryzen event where, you know, there was some situations where it's like, there's somebody's health at question here. Like, this is bad. This is a really bad knockout, a really bad finish, a really bad KO. The last thing we want to do is continually show the replay unless the guy's standing up. Now, I assume Jimmy Manuel was standing up. Everything was fine. They showed it again. It's MMA. It's not ping pong. It's not tennis. You're going to see some violence. Uh, but I was like, man, the way Alexander landed that kick, Rackets just just extended that leg, and it caught Jimmy, and boom, lights out, game over. 
Main event, Anthony Smith. Uh, I I have just thought the world of Anthony Smith. I, I think a lot of people who move up in weight and then compete, compete at a high level. What Anthony Smith has done is special. And keep in mind, Anthony Smith, from the point that Leonardo Santos took off to now, he has seven wins, which is amazing. Uh, he has fought five people that have competed for UFC titles in under a year. He has three performance of the night bonuses, and he's beaten Rashad Evans, Shogun Hua, Volkan Ozdemir, and Alexander Gustafson. Uh, he was able to adjust and put the pain on Alexander Gustafson. Anthony Smith belongs. This is so wild, man. He's 30 years old and has just a has two careers worth career worth of fights, Joe. Yeah, he's been he, competing. Sorry, go ahead. His career is like movie territory, in, in my opinion. He started off his career five and six. I know. Most people would wrap it up there. Uh, he lost you when you're acquiring a company like UFC acquires Strikeforce, and you lose the last night of of the company's existence. That's got to put you in a weird headspace. Then you lose your UFC fight. You're gone. Then you lose your first fight on the regional circuit. What happens there? Well, he's gone on a career resurgence, and he is he belongs in the top five of the light heavyweight division. Joe, I want to know what you think of this this performance and Anthony Smith. Yeah, of course. No, it was a fantastic performance. The way he came back there in the fourth round, um, th- I didn't think Alexander was going to tap that quick. Not quick, but that way. But uh, Anthony Smith's story is is the epitome of just coming back and just showing resolve in a career. Like you said, he could have called the quits after his first eleven fights. But um, you know, I said it before this fight. I thought he was going to win. I really thought he was going to win. Uh, I didn't think. Uh, you know, I think he just had Alexander's number, uh, and he showed why. Although it wasn't that easy, but. Uh, I mean, the fight was slipping away sort of thing. I liked how Dan Hardy was handling it afterwards in the interview, but Anthony Smith is something else. He's absolutely freaking fantastic. It's, you know, he got mentally checked out in that fight with John Jones. John Jones, he just, he couldn't figure him out. So I don't know what it means right now for him, but, um, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about Alexander Gustafson and Jimmy Mano in a moment, but uh, Anthony Smith is, is just something special. My only concern with him is MMA mileage, right? MMA mileage, I know he's young. Uh, or technically young, but uh, you know, MMA mileage is one thing. And just to respond to the chat there, I'm not saying you have to hide replays because it was brutal uh, or anything of that nature. I'm saying let's just wait until the fighter is up and okay because the worst thing you want is to glorify a brutal knockout only to find out bad news afterwards. So, uh, And I'm just speaking from a, from a production standpoint. I haven't been around this game for about 20 years. So, yeah, just just kind of be cognizant of what just happened for a moment and then make the call. Ironically, some of the biggest news to emerge out of this show, as well as uh, the subsequent days, are just retirements all over the place at light heavyweight. Now, I'm going to be setting this one up for for quite a while. Jimmy Manawa was the the latest retirement. He's lost four in a row. Three out of four fights are a head kick, or not head kick, but KOs. Uh, he's been knocked out, gosh, I think five times in five years. That That's not great. He's not having great performances. His last great performance was, I mean, you could say the Blahovich fight. He had a, had a pretty good performance or something like that. But other than that, really, it's the Corey Anderson fight. Alexander Gustafson is not what he used to be. Alexander Gustafson has lost two fights in a row. He's two and four in his last six. 
The guys that he's beating are Manoa, Blahovich, Teixeira, still very good wins at that. Uh, but he's, he's 0 for 3 in his light heavyweight title hopes. He could never win the big one. And he kept running into John Jones and Daniel Cormier. Uh, he got obliterated by Anthony Johnson. Like the, We'll start off with the two UFC uh, retirements, so to speak, in that regard. But, man, it's it's pretty wild to see two big names that have been a mainstay for years in this division, Joe, just wrapping it up. I don't know that Alexander is going to retire. Uh, I think it's just it's 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 one of those things where he he's lost again, lost at home, very emotional, can't seem to just. I mean, the guy the guy's a top two hundred five pound contender, regardless, no matter what. Um, is it emotion? Has he been thinking about it? Uh, <laughs> I just saw your message. <laughs> we'll get to that first. We'll get to that in a second, ladies and gentlemen. Sean just got to add a good uh, message back to me. Um, I don't think Alexander is. 100% committed to retiring. Jimmy? Manoa? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at that point there, at number 11, he's sliding down the rankings. He's getting finished the way he's getting finished. Can't take that punishment anymore. Great fighter still. Don't kid yourselves. Good fighter. Great fighter. Uh, can, can you know, stand and bang with pretty much anyone, but not at the elite at the division or guys that are coming up because, again, the brain can only handle so much. Most guys and girls are mentally stronger than what their body can say or do. Uh, as for Gus, I, I don't know what it is, man. I just don't think he's he's gone just yet. Uh, I think he'll have a sort of resurgence and something will come up. Do you think that Manoa should have gave it a go at heavyweight? See how that translated? I don't think so. I don't think so. Only be, I mean, you can say yes because he's coming in at a smaller weight class or a smaller weight than most guys, so he'll have the speed advantage. But heavyweights punch much harder than light heavyweights. So if he's getting dropped by light heavyweights, he will, you know, technically speaking, get dropped by heavyweights. And Gus has said, I'm with you. I think he's going to end up fighting again. Hey, maybe he should give heavyweight a go. You never know how that's going to work out. Look at look at the career resurgence Anthony Smith has had moving from middleweight to light heavyweight and what that's done. But there was another guy who has done that, King Mo Lawal. It was a bit more unceremonious, uh, his, his uh, retirement announcement. Actually, I believe Dan Lambert announced it on American Top Team's Instagram, but King Mo had lost three fights in a row. Uh, by TKO, and yeah, it, it was wild, Joe, because at the end of 2015, it looked like he was arguably, you could argue that was one of his top runs ever. Probably, uh, you could you could really only argue that the one that culminated in the Musashi win was a bigger, better run for him. But he went on this run in Bellator, he won three, four straight fights, and then he won that Ryzen Grand Prix. And it's like, man, King Mo. Maybe heavyweight's the deal. No, he couldn't get it done. Phil Davis, Mirko Krokop, Bader, McGeary. And then when Jiri's beating him in Japan and beating him in, in that fashion, I think it is time to time to wrap it up. And uh, pro wrestling, a lot of people say, oh, pro wrestling. No, it's not for him. Oh. It, it didn't work. Explain. Oh, there you go. That, it, that, just didn't, it just didn't work. It, he didn't like the bumping the, the, in the same way that broadcasting just wasn't for him. It yeah. wasn't a fit. A lot of people thought it'd be a fit because he came out and he danced and he had a crown. There's a lot more to it than that. Nobody expected Matt Riddle to be an exceptional pro wrestler. He's arguably the best pro wrestler in the world. King Mo did not translate. Rampage did not translate. Tito Ortiz did not translate. From what I understand, King Mo is an unbelievable coach and an outstanding coach. Uh, what do you think of his decision to retire? 
Uh, he's not exactly made his uh, affection for money a secret, but he's 38 years old. You think it's the right time? Yeah, only because – so there, on one of the Ryzen confessions, he talked about he doesn't want to retire just yet. He wants to compete one more time and hopefully at 185 pounds. I was like, damn, that's – that's Damn. That, that, you're having a hard – so he had a hard time against Prohaska in that fight there because he basically faded away. You watch any one of interviews afterwards. Even Yuri said, you know, he started fading away in that third, second or third round. Uh, and I had to go finish him. I was able to finish him only because he was getting tired. You could see the performance by King Mo that he just wasn't the same guy that he was years ago that would kind of dominate, take guys down and do his thing. He was fatiguing, wasn't able to do much with Yuri. Yuri took advantage of it, uh, especially in the first round because Yuri didn't want to attack in that first round as much because he knew uh, there's the potential A of the takedown and, and, and Mo's incredible hook uh, that knocked him out the first time. So uh, in looking at Mo's performance, probably retirement is, is the best only because his body's not – Maybe in training he's fantastic, but when it comes time to execute in the actual ring or cage, it's not it's not showing the way the way he used to when he was much younger. So you know, in my opinion, King Mo retiring, no problem whatsoever. Although I'd I'd like to know more because you know you, when you come out and you say in an interview uh, or post fight that one more fight, love to do it in Japan, love to do it 185 pounds, only for you know a few weeks later say you want to retire. You know what what really led to that, or what's the full story behind that? So he's been through a lot. He was never quite all that he was touted to be, but still, the man beat, as boring as the fight was, he beat Gegard Musashi yeah. for the Strikeforce Light Heavyweight Championship. That has that, that win has only aged better in the decade or so since it happened, Joe. I mean, Gegard Musashi is still an exceptional fighter. Uh, Emmanuel Newton was his kryptonite. That was a heavy undoing in the career of... of uh, King Mo, and that that's just wild to look at and think that for a while it was just King Mo, or not King Mo, Emmanuel Newton that stood in his way and prevented him from being that marquee star that Bellator wanted so bad. And yeah. uh, that that's the situation. Joe, uh, I don't, it's a little personal. Do you want to fill the audience in on? <laughs> uh, so <clears throat> Sean allowed me, uh, he said, you know, if you, if you got to call the school back or I said, listen, they left a voicemail. I'll probably deal with it later. And there's some stuff that happened before I left to Japan with my son at the school. Um, so the uh, principal and vice principal. Uh, so I, I put myself on mute here, if you guys didn't notice, and kind of let's put, put it on speakerphone while Sean was setting up the retirement talk. Was able to listen in uh, to what it was, and it, it's basically a follow-up. Uh, Your kid is now the number one ranked 85-pound fighter in the world, right? Yeah, he... Um, he apparently disagreed with a few things with some older students that are a bit bigger than him, and they decided to try and take some liberties with him. So he started sucker punching a bunch of people, hey. and they all they all went down, and he got pulled into the office. So yeah, I, I, punched, I punched a kid for telling me Santa wasn't real once. Yeah, and that was just last week. Yeah, I don't get it. You get, kid gets bullied. Drops a few of them and then gets in trouble. So I, I got to go deal with that after this, after the podcast. I'm sure it'll be perfectly fine, but I'll go deal with that and and then we'll take it from there. But other than that, he knows he can't. Be, he's already labeled Sean. He's already labeled as the UFC guy's son, right? So, but I've always told him. I said, don't do anything. You can't do what we do at home when we're training and playing, and can't do that at school unless you feel threatened. I guess technically he felt threatened. So, but you can't put your hands on other kids. You can't punch them. And uh, okay, so I'll I'm just glad that. that I popped you because I sent Joe a message back that says he fights more than Leonardo Santos does. <laughs> <laughs> I 
why can't he have this sort of aggression in soccer, Sean? Can you explain that to me? And I, I, I read about kids' psychology all the time. And as a coach in soccer, he doesn't have this aggression. He's a passer. Yeah. He's a playmaker. He's great finesse. Man, tick this kid off, and and he starts throwing sucker punches and elbows and kicks and knees. Like, yeah. Oh. Uh, so announced today, Habib Nurmagomedov, Dustin Poirier, September. I'm glad. I, I wasn't with that November horseshit talk. <laughs> I'm glad it's happening in September. It needs to happen. Probably in a pop-up arena with slave labor to put it up. Uh, so not not too keen on that. In the middle of nowhere. Uh, Sorry, there's no venue in Abu Dhabi? I don't think so. I mean, oh, there man. there probably is, but my God. But well, uh, The fight's what, on. The yeah, fight's what, on. Do you, what do you think of this one? Well, super happy because it's one of those things where, you know, he won the interim title. Let him fight the champ. I know it was difficult when Tony Ferguson was the interim champ. He wasn't able to fight. That that, that just goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But it's always the right fight to do. If you're going to have an interim title, then you got to have the interim winner take on the champion when he comes back. I know the whole Colby Covington thing uh, will come up and stuff like that. But it's the right fight to make. And then from there, we can determine who's next, right? So I really, really like it. Yeah, I love the fight, and you got Cerrone versus Ferguson this weekend, which we're going to talk about at length. I'm just glad it's happening, man. We're finally getting there's been there's been a log jam for years at lightweight, always man. years. It's going to be like and, that forever. And the thing is, there's a revolving door of people who are involved in the log jam from Conor McGregor not being in the log jam. Nate Diaz isn't in the log jam. Kevin Lee isn't in the log jam anymore. Now it's Tony Ferguson, Habib Nurmagomedov. Dustin Poirier, kind of Donald Cerrone, especially if he beats Ferguson this weekend. It's such a wild situation. Like, it's it's different. I love it. Uh, we're actually seeing things unfold. A talking point that I kind of wanted to hit before we moved on to the shows or, or the event this weekend. UFC's light heavyweight rankings are about to change big time, Joe. Yeah. Number one, Daniel Cormier ain't fighting there again. I'd be shocked. Number two, Alexander Gustafson just retired. Number 10, or number 11, 11 yeah. Jimmy Manoa retiring. We're about to see three of 15 names just hit the bricks. Now, uh, Rockic is going to be in those rankings. You, you know he is. Anthony Smith probably jumping up to, all, all things considered, Anthony Smith is probably, I mean, he's ranked behind Tiago Santos right now. But he just beat the guy that's ranked above Tiago Santos. So is he ranked above? That's wild to look at. This is just, I mean, Johnny Walker's going to be a top 10 UFC light heavyweight. This is something this division has needed. This used to be the marquee division, Joe. And now I feel like we are finally in a spot where we have this, this group of prospects, these group of young fighters coming up and emerging. Will they get slain by John Jones? There's a damn good chance of that. But man, <laughs> new blood. New blood is happening. I like it. I mean, it's one of those things where we've been, it's every division other than lightweight and featherweight uh, goes through these resurgences where it goes up and down, up and down, up and down. And here we are now uh, at 205 pounds with a lot of new blood coming in there. A lot of rankings are changing. Alex, Daniel's gone, like you said, Alexander's gone. Technically gone. Uh, Anthony Smith continues to hold his spot. Tiago Santos has the next title shot. Dominic Reyes is getting up there. Um, you know, uh, who's it? Johnny Walker, right? Like, there's there's some good names here, and of course, 
you know, with, with the defeat now with Jimmy Manor, what number 11, he's going to either slide down or out of these rankings. Uh, you know, Teixeira continues to win. Uh, you know, what, what, what are we going to say about Latifi? He's at number nine now, wasn't able to compete. He's still considered up there. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun division to pay attention to. The pieces are moving around, and it's going to be interesting to note what is going to happen. Let's not forget about, you know, unfortunately, Luke Rockhold. I mean, I'd say unfortunately because we never yeah. really know with Luke Rockhold, but this is a division now that's I, starting to get a lot of eyeballs on it. I told everybody that Rockhold-Gustafson fight would never happen. Yeah. Never, and now it never will. Uh, you got Jimmy Crute. Like, he's he's a name that's uh, really emerged there. I have mentioned Qutalaba in the past. It, obviously, things have not worked out so well uh, for him with his, his most recent fight. Uh, Ryan Spann. That's one that's that's really just showing up and emerging. Uh, you've got these guys, uh, Alexa Check, another name, Khalil Roundtree has looked really, really yeah, good lately. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Johnson is another name, and then you've got some guys like Tyson Pedro, kind of sit on the outside and maybe are are are, are I don't know what's the word I'm looking for, capable of some things, but don't quite do it. Uh, I like. Uh, I like the future of this 205-pound division. Okay, so let me ask you some qu- – sorry, finish off your point. I want to ask you no, some go quick ahead. questions. So quick question. Ready? Yeah. You mentioned Alexander Gustafson uh, and the potential of him moving up to heavyweight. Uh-huh. Let's work our way backwards from 10 to 1. Would you like to see Gustafson versus Shamil Abdel-Kamimov? Hell no. All right. Olenek? Maybe. King Maybe. Velasquez? Hell yeah, I'd love that fight. Alexander Volkov? Sure. Alistair Overeem? Yes. Derek Lewis. Yes. Curtis Blades. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Junior DeSantos. Of course. Francis Ngannou. That'd be bad for Gustafson. Stipe Miocic. Bad for Gustafson. But so yeah. you, you basically said five five or six fights that you'd like to see Gustafson. I like a couple of those. I don't like a lot of those. But yeah. uh, I, I didn't even mention number 11, Taito Ivasa. Yeah, I, I was going to mention that too. He's got a fight coming up. But yeah, I like that one. Uh, Olenek versus... Gustafson somewhere in Europe. Yep, seems like seems like a good co-main event, main event that they yep. could they could rock with. I I would be open to that. I think that would be good. Hopefully he does it, but he just has not seemed like the same guy since that first John Jones fight. At times he has, yep. but I mean the guy can't stay in the cage either. Like that that's always been the thing. Like I remember when they announced the the Luke Rockhold fight, I was like, yeah, right, as if they're gonna do that. Uh, he fought once. Here's his trajectory: once in 2013, once in 14, twice in 15, once every year since 16, 17, 18, 19, one time. Yeah, every year. That is just not something the UFC can put a whole lot of stock into. So if I were them, I would see. You know what? Let's see what we can get out of him. Maybe he wants to try out heavyweight. Dana White has softened on his. Oh, if somebody's thinking about retirement, I never try to get them out of it. Talk because he flat. Out, I don't want to say he begged Daniel Cormier, but he made a very he made a very public plea for Daniel Cormier to hang around. Joe. Yeah, well, Daniel Cormier brings he moves the needle. He's a great character. He's he's damn good on, on the mic. So he's a good person to have around. And when you're the UFC and you're Dana White in general, you want to make sure those guys, um, those guys that can move the needle, stick around as long as they can little promotion for my interviews, guys. I had uh, one of the worst interviews of my life with Darian Caldwell. It's worth it to listen to the train wreck. If you can make out anything that's being said, oh, no. make sure you guys check that out. It was just uneventful. Uh, 
the most emotion I got out of him is when he kind of doubted for a brief minute that there were a lot of pro wrestling MMA crossovers. And I'm like, okay. Uh, but I interviewed Lyoto Machida, Joe. And I don't know if you're familiar with the background of Lyoto Machida, but he actually trained at the New Japan Pro Wrestling Dojo in Los Angeles back in 2003. Wow. It, are you familiar with Daniel Bryan, the pro wrestler? Yeah. Yes. Yes. He lived with Daniel Bryan, and he lived with Shinsuke Nakamura. And Daniel Bryan in his book basically said that Nakamura and Machida spoke just enough English to not like each other. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. And uh, I got to speak to Machida. And, you know, any time that I get to speak to a guy like Leo Machida, I'm like, yeah, okay. MMA interviews aren't exactly my forte these days. There's a, a finite uh, amount of things you can ask about. But Bellator loves when I ask about pro wrestling. Their PR guys get it. They're like, yeah, get us that crossover attention. So I asked Leoto Machida about it, and he seemed over the moon to speak about it. Like I could tell it was something that he really hadn't spoken about a lot. That interview is going to drop on Fightful. But, man, that was really eye-opening to me. Like I I like that. He was willing to talk about it. He was like, hell yeah, something I'm not going to talk about repeatedly all, all today on this media tour. So that was very cool. Uh, make sure you guys check that out. That well, will be the dropped. reason why they love it. Remember Daniel Cormier's reaction when we were asking him about wrestling? Oh in gosh, Buffalo? yeah. So he was in the, he was in the middle of a weight cut in Buffalo, miserable. Yeah, miserable. I asked her answering the same shit. Brandon Howard mentions WWE, and Cormier rattles off WrestleMania attendance and gate figures. Yeah. So what I try and tell people all the time, uh, and you get this, you understand this. Now imagine. What is the number one question that you get asked all the time, Sean, whether it's pro wrestling or MMA? What is the number one question? For me, easily, how do I get noticed in wrestling media? How do you get noticed in wrestling media? Now, imagine you have to answer that question 15 times a day from 15 different people a day for the next four days. Yeah. And then finally, somebody asks you and asks you a question that has nothing to do with anything but something that you like, right? And that was the key to, to always enjoying my interviews whenever I did my interviews with folks is, yeah, I'm going to get the stuff that Sportsnet needs, but I'm also going to get stuff that UFC Central needs for the TV show to show a different side of character uh, of all the fighters. And, and, and pro wrestling has always been one of those things uh, since I've been with Fightful that nine times out of ten, these fighters light up. Yeah, I love it. And I didn't even ask him about drinking his own piss. So uh, thankfully you didn't. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, look out for those. I am doing more MMA interviews here and there. I'm scheduled for Heather Hardy today, uh, who I also have a couple pro wrestling questions for because I know of a connection there. But uh, yeah, guys, make sure you guys leave thumbs up on that. Uh, Obviously, our MMA end coming along, but we're still doing lots of cool stuff over there. Speaking of cool stuff, UFC 238 is this weekend, and we're going to get into that. But uh, Nate Diaz spoke out. Mm-hmm. He appeared on Ariel Hawani's show. Uh, he's doing a little bit of media ahead of his upcoming fight with Showtime Pettis. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 
He says that he's not interested at all in a trilogy fight with Conor McGregor. I'm not buying it. What do you think? Well, common sense says we're not buying it. This is the D, one of the Diaz brothers. This is Nate Diaz we're talking about, right? I would assume he would love to do it, A, because he loves to fight, B, because the payday is huge. Let's not kid ourselves. But knowing them and, and the interviews I've had with them and, and the different stuff outside of MMA that I've, done, I've, I've dealt with them, they operate in a different frequency, man. For all we know, he's telling the truth. Yeah, uh, I think he's very interested in money, though. So, yeah. yeah. Calls yeah. himself the king of the lightweight division. Now, here's the interesting thing, Joe. He has not competed in the lightweight division since 2015. Did I mention they operate in a different frequency? Yeah, they sure do. Uh, we do have UFC 238 coming up this weekend, and it is a hell of a card. Oh, Joe, I love this show. This is going to be a lot of fun. Um, very, I'm very much looking forward to it. I'm going to hit you guys with uh, the betting odds, at least as they are on bestfightodds.com. Uh, I shouldn't give them the free plug, but here we go. I was just going to say, I can't believe you just did that. Yeah. Uh, Bavon Lewis, a minus 235. Darren Stewart, a plus 195. You have Eddie Wineland, the veteran, minus 130. Favorite against Grigory Popov, a plus 110. And as far as people who you don't know on the show, it pretty much ends there, Joe. Yep. Angela Hill, a plus 170, uh, taking on Jan, a minus 200. I mean, people know who Eddie Wineland is. He, I believe he competed for – did he compete for the UFC Bantamweight interim title at one point? I think WEC. Ah, I, thought, I thought that he had – either way. Yeah. Either way. Uh, otherwise – Man, this is a loaded show. Yeah, he he competed against Barrow for the interim title. Okay, there we go. In Toronto. How did you not know, Joe? Dude, I've seen thousands of fights. Point, it's a big point. blur to me right now. <laughs> good point. Yeah. Anything here you're, you're particularly looking at? I think uh, you got to put five on uh, Gregory Popoff. Right? I mean, of all those. I mean, Angela Hill at plus 170 may want to put five on her. But she again, my only knock on Angela, it's not even a knock. It's just a, an assessment analysis is she's never been able to sit down on her punches and be able to generate that power. Um, I don't know if it's a physique thing. I don't know if it's it's the way she's been throwing the punches. But, um, you know, Jan's tough. Jan's tough. And, 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 and it'll be a difficult fight for Angela. But in looking at Eddie Wineland, a favorite over Popoff. And, you know, Wineland's experience may prove that I'm wrong. But maybe you want to put five on Popoff. Oh boy, this show, Joe. <laughs> I so here's the thing: I don't really take a great look at these until the week of because why? Yeah, it's so much stuff going on. Joanne Calderwood a minus one ten. Caitlin Chikagian a minus one ten. A pick 'em right where I think it should be. I'm not expecting this to be an exciting fight, but this is a top shelf women's flyweight fight. And if Joanne Calderwood wins, I think she has to be in the conversation for a, a title shot very soon. This is a division which should have existed a long time ago, and she should have uh, got that opportunity. But if she beats Shikagian, I think she's right there. And I think she can get it done. It's a good fight. It's a really good fight, number two versus number six. And like you said, if number six, Joanne Calderwood, wins, uh, what do you do, right? She's got name value. She's definitely got name value. Does she get the shot against the winner of Shevchenko? I, right? So, yeah. Uh, I... (laughs) Uh, like I said, man, I'm getting giddy about some of these fights. Alexa Grasso, plus 110. Carolina Kovalkovich, a minus 130. It seems like some of these people fought like three weeks ago, and they're already back on the show. Yeah. 
They're already back on the show. Another great women's fight. I think Grasso could pull it off, but Kovalkovich, man, she is uh, hardly an easy out, Joe. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Carolina will win this fight, though. I think she'll win this fight. Uh, but against Grasso, you just got to make sure because, you know, Carolina suffered some knockouts, man. She got hurt by Andrade, if I'm not, if not mistaken, right? Like she, she hasn't had a great performance in a while. I mean, last year against Herrig, she she squeaked one out. Yeah. And I think that Grasso is probably a little bit better than Herrig at this point. Yeah, I think it's going to be a fun fight. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. But, uh, yeah, you got to – if you're Carolina, you cannot afford to lose this fight whatsoever. Yeah, if you lose three in a row in this division – trouble you are in big trouble now the thing is she's got the win over rose nama Yunus, and that that speaks pretty highly but she's got the loss to jessica andrage and it was a very recent loss to jessica andrage she's just trying to hang on in this division man yeah. if she loses it do you see her maybe giving flyway to go um if she loses i mean look, look, look at who she's lost to she's lost to you know former champ current champ Top number one contender, uh, and Michelle Watterson was a decision, right? Yeah. So it's it's a tough go, but losing three in a row, uh, you got to figure she might have to move to 125. But it's, it's you know, 125, it seems like every time someone competes at 125 or, or there's more competition at 125, we start looking at the vision and thinking who can actually stack up against one another. She, would, she may have a hard time uh, in this division, although there's, I mean, there's some of the girls in there that are cutting down from 135. Ooh, they're, they're, they're going to be tough matchups for Aljamain Sterling versus Pedro Munoz is, is on this card. <laughs> Joe, this is a dream. Why they stack this so much? Listen, when sometimes the stars align, right? This is what this is how every let, 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 let's stop for a second. Stop. stop. You're right. You're Please. right. You're 100 percent right. I know where you're going. Every damn UFC event should look like this. And you only do that if you keep the top echelon of fighters per division. When you do not, you start getting cards like what we just what happened in Sweden. We're just like, who are half of these people? That should not be something the UFC should ever have anyone talking about. And we're we're people that cover this every single week, daily. We're paying attention to this. We talk about it every single week. We should never, ever, us too, should never saying, I don't know, blah, 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 whatever, blah, I don't remember that guy or that girl competing. Every event should look like this. I know almost every fighter who was in the UFC 10 years ago. I don't know every fighter who's in the UFC now, and I cover it. Yeah. Uh, that's wild. Uh, this fight has 12, this card has 12 fights on it. But like, I look at next week's Moicano versus Korean Zombie show in South Carolina, and I'm like, man, that show could have used two of these fights really badly. Yeah. If you would have thrown Aljamain Sterling and Pedro Munoz on that show, and you would have thrown Tatiana Suarez versus Nina Ansarov on next week's show, you'd be talking about back-to-back weeks of low, of pretty stacked shows. Yeah. Oh, and, and they could have afforded to lose more than that. Uh, Aljamain Sterling against Pedro Munoz. This is a big-time Bantamweight fight. Like, we're talking about a couple of guys who are probably competing for a title shot, Joe. And there's two of these fights on the prelims that are probably for a title fight. There, Actually, there might be three if you include Joanne Calderwood. Yeah. Holy crap, we got three fights that, I mean, you can't say Chicago's in a title eliminator. This is one of the most stacked, under-the-radar UFC shows I have seen since we've covered this. It's 
easily top three or five, but there's no like headline marquee star. Munoz versus Sterling. I'm done heaping praise on the evil UFC machine. Who do you think gets this one done? Sterling's won five of his last six. Munoz is a wrecking machine. He's won seven of his last eight. How do you see it going? Well, when you're coming off a victory over Cody Garbrandt, uh, you know, in, in less than a round, your confidence is probably at an all-time high. Although we all discussed before and afterwards, Cody Garbrandt's got to stop playing fire with fire. His chin can't take it right now. So Munoz is coming off a really crazy high right now. And then, of course, you got Aljamain Sterling, who just, you know, he's, he's a blue-collar fighter, right? Wins over Jimmy Rivera, Cody Stammen, and Brett Johns, you know, in the last, what, three fights? Yeah. This, this is, and he's only lost to Marlon Morass, and that was, you know, you're going to lose to Marlon Morass who's fighting for the title. <laughs> um, this is a good fight, man. I don't know who's going to take it, but it's going to be a close one. And uh, one mistake, one mistake, you know, Aljamain better cover that jaw. He better keep that jaw covered and be very, very careful when he's clinching as well. So. Yeah, you know what I'm doing if I'm these two fellas, Joe. Talking showing up on championship weight. Ah, that's a very good point. If you're ever in the situation where you are in even, not even in contention, if you are the same weight as somebody fighting for a title on that show, you show up at championship weight in case Marlon Marias or Henry Cejudo slipping a banana peel, especially in this situation, Joe. Mm-hmm. because there is no champion. They don't have to create an interim. Okay, well, Henry Cejudo can't go. Marlon Marias can't go. All right, one of you two go. Title fight, more than qualified. Um, as Joseph Boza says, if you're Caitlin and JoJo, I'd also show up on championship weight. You're damn right, especially Joanne Calderwood. Show up on championship weight on that night. I am, gosh, so many great fights on this show, and one of them I am almost most excited for, Tatiana Suarez, Nina Ansaroff. Nina Ansaroff, a career resurgence, uh, but Tatiana Suarez is a minus 900. Yeah. Ansaroff, a plus 600. I think that line is ridiculous. Do I think Suarez is going to win? Yes, probably handedly. She is very, very good. I think she is going to dominate. Uh, across pro, amateur, and I think tough. She is 12-0. and 0. She just smokes people. She's beaten J.J. Alvarez, uh, Vivian Pereira, uh, Grasso, Esparza. However, Nina Ansaroff, you know, probably originally best known for her very successful, I don't know, fiancé, girlfriend. I think it's fiancé, Amanda Nunes, but she's beating, she's beating people. And, oh, Joe, she's not just beating people. She's beating Claudia Gedalia. You yeah. don't get there by some sort of streak of luck. You beat Claudia Gedalia because you're very good. She's 4-0. This is a title eliminator, and uh, Ansaroff deserves it. I think Suarez is going to smoke her, though. Winner gets title shot. Loser gets Rose Namajunas. I think that sounds fair. I think it sounds fair, and it's a smart idea. Yeah, uh, I think you're right. I think Tatiana Suarez does win this fight. Uh, and I think she, she poses a threat to Jessica Andrade as well. First, you got to get through Ansaroff, who some way, somehow, uh, finds these little victories here and there that, you know, we're not really expecting. Uh, and she's training with the best fighter in the world who happens to be her fiance, right? So, um, you know, if you can start learning by osmosis, not just by training, you know, Ansaroff could surprise a lot of us as we head into this fight here, uh, and, and her future. But on paper, looking at this fight, Tatiana Suarez should emerge victorious. 
man this show. Blagoy Ivanov, a plus 125. Tai Tuivasa, a minus 145. Considering Ivanov's trajectory since he's joined the UFC, I maybe wouldn't have put him on the main card, but I get it because it's tied to Ivasa. Yeah. This is not a better fight than a couple of them that we've spoken about on the prelims, though, in my estimation. I think that Ivanov can beat to Ivasa, but there hasn't been a lot to show me that he will. I mean, it's it's a really weird one. I mean, Tuivasa just lost for the first time, and I'm really interested to see how he responds to that loss, Joe. But Blagoy Ivanov is a guy who's been competing at a high level since really around the time that Tuivasa even started to train. Yeah, I think, How do you think this one goes? Well, I think you're smart about the assessment that you know, both of these guys, their last losses were Junior Dos Santos. Okay? Now, I mean, Blagoy went the distance with Junior, whereas – uh, Tai Tuivasa did not. He just fought the way he's always fought. Now, you said you're interested to see how he comes back after that loss. Yeah. Is he still going to be aggressive? Is he still going to be just guns a blaring? Let's see who stands up, who the last man standing is. Or is he now going to be a bit more calculated and cerebral in this fight versus a veteran that'll, that'll pick you apart if need be? If you don't knock him out early, he doesn't go away. Right, and with Tuivasa, you got to make sure that you know you're, you're you're keeping your distance from him because this guy will put you to sleep real quick. I know he went the distance with Arlovsky, okay, but it's a different fighter than Arlovsky. So it's I, I like where the odds are. I'm 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 leaning towards Tuivasa. I just think what's happening here is that we, we're we're more than likely going to see a calculated fight by both of these guys. Ivanov isn't the type of guy that'll knock you out until he sees the the opportunity to do so. Whereas Tai Tuivasa might start off strong and then realize real quick if I can't knock this guy out, I got to play the smart. Jimmy Rivera, a plus 250. Peter Jan, a minus 300. I think this is a really smart fight for them to book. I have no clue why it's on the main card over Sterling Munoz. Does that make any sense to you? I think it's just sometimes when they book these fights or they put these fights together and put them on the television portion versus the pay-per-view portion, it's to build excitement, uh, to get the excitement factor going and carry it into the pay-per-view. People will order the pay-per-view. Yeah, I guess so, and it's a, such a stacked show on the, on the main card anyway. Peter Yan, 4-0 in the UFC, just beat John Dodson, taking on Jimmy Rivera, who is trying to retain his place in the division. Not so easy to do when you've lost two of your last three. Oh, by the way, since last June, he's also lost two fights, those being to Marlon Marias and Aljamain Sterling, who could factor in huge this division. So if you are Jimmy Rivera... You're hoping Henry Cejudo wins. You're hoping Pedro Munoz wins because, oh, by the way, he's beaten Pedro Munoz before. That, that's a situation that's got to happen. And you got to beat Peter Jan, who looks to be, I don't want to say an unstoppable prospect, but a damn big prospect along the way. And he is a healthy underdog, is uh, Jimmy Rivera. Yeah, and I like Jimmy Rivera in this fight, right? I really do, but it's an easier fight to sell in general. You walk into an establishment, you walk into a bar, you walk into a restaurant, you walk into your friend's house, you, you know, you're just tuning in for the very first time. You're, you're sort of a casual UFC fan. And all of a sudden you see on your screen, it's number seven versus number nine. This fight means something. This is a fight that means something. And then you go up and down the Stockholm card and you start looking at some of these fights and you walk in and, and turn the TV on and you look and you're like, I don't know who half these people are. There's no number next to their name. What does this fight actually mean? So 
This is a good fight here between Rivera and Peter Yan. You could sell this fight to anybody that tunes in because you know there's ramifications here. The winner either keeps his spot at number seven or Peter, seven, seven and nine, I believe. And the loser, if it's Jimmy Rivera, may get replaced in, in his placement on the rankings. It's a fight that means something at 135 pounds. So I like it. Yes. And, but I am leaning towards Jimmy Rivera. Uh, I, I felt that was it's it's a good fight to book. I don't know if it's a good fight to book on the main card. I would swap this with the Munoz uh, Sterling fight because I think that rankings should matter and it should mean something in, yeah. in that regard. And trajectory should matter as well. Now it is a bit wild because Jimmy Rivera is number seven, and it seems like forever he's been like number one or two, yeah. taking on number nine. Meanwhile, in the prelims, you have number three versus number four. Uh, it's it's just, it's just wild. It's wild. Calvin Qatar, a minus 160. Ricardo Lamas, a plus 140. Uh, Harry Kettle of Fightful MMA spoke to Ricardo Lamas. Uh, this is a very close fight. Another one I'm a little bit surprised got main card billing, or uh, unless maybe I'm just reading something wrong. Yeah. Or no, it's, it's on, it is on the prelims. My bad. Uh, so, this one uh, snuck in on the prelims. Ricardo Lamas, a guy who's been around forever, has competed for the featherweight championship. He had a big win over Darren Elkins, and that was a real big win. But now he's facing Calvin Qatar, who is still on the emergence a little bit, one three of four. How do you see this one? Uh, this is a good fight as well. It's it's a rankings fight. It means something. Uh, I think Qatar's well. I shouldn't say Qatar's going to pull this off. It's a, it's a good fight. Um, you know, Lamas wants to prove once again that he's worth uh, competing for that title. He's got to go on a run. Um, but, you know, visually speaking, again, you walk into a bar, television, and you turn it on, Sean, you look at the graphics, and you see 10 versus 15. I don't like that look. I do like 10, but don't put nothing under number 15. So this guy's defending the top 10, right? Yeah. That's what he's doing. Lamas is defending the top 10. He's got to win this fight to prevent... This guy, who we know is at number 15, but a casual viewer might not see that number and say, this guy cannot take my spot at top 10. It's a big fight. It's a big fight when you think about it. People outside of MMA know top 10s. They don't know top 15s. When you watch SportsCenter, they don't do the top 15. They do the top 10, right? So maybe ESPN should be talking to UFC, but like, keep everything top 10 and not top 15. Yeah, so, the, the irony being that Fox was the one, were the ones who wanted the rankings and then wanted them expanded. <laughs> to make fighters uh, seem more important. Yeah. Donald Cerrone, a plus 125. Tony Ferguson, a minus 145. Joe, you could have told me this was the main event of the pay-per-view. Yeah. I could have just excluded the two title fights and made a, made a pay-per-view card out of the what's left. This is a hell of a fight. This is a top-notch, top-flight fight that I didn't know that we were going to ever see out of Donald Cerrone again. I, about a year and a half ago, it looked like maybe those days were behind him. Not so much. He looks great since he's had his kid. And uh, he has the tools to beat Tony Ferguson. He has the tools to beat anybody. These are two of the most well-rounded, yet sometimes reckless fighters in the UFC, which is making for one of the most interesting matchups possible. Yeah. I mean, you take a look at this up and down. You look at their records. You look at what they've done recently. Uh, I know Tony hasn't fought since October 2018. Uh, it's been a while, you know, so eight, nine months. But he's still a top guy that had gold wrapped around his waist before this whole debacle went down. So um, my heart says Donald Cerrone. Nothing would make me happier 
that Donald Cerrone emerges victorious in this fight here and, and potentially getting uh, you know en route to either A, that Connor fight, or B, uh, some sort of title fight eventually, uh, or you know some sort of showdown with um, uh, oh my god, I'm drawing a blank right now. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you in two seconds. Don't don't leave me now. But a big fight. Uh, whether he if he can't get the title fight uh, with Justin Gaethje, okay? I mean, Cerrone and Justin Gaethje. But this is a fight now where you know Dustin, or excuse me, uh, with Dustin fighting Habib uh, and Tony fighting Donald. This is a, a a title eliminator. Let's be honest for a second. All right. Um, Donald deserves the paydays. He does. I mean, he's he's fought for the title before. Those title fights didn't look the greatest. Oh, my heart says Cerrone. My head says. Tony Ferguson. Up next, a uh, flyweight championship fight. Jessica I has been clamoring for this for years. She is the biggest underdog on this show. A plus 900. Valentina Shevchenko, a minus 1375. (laughs) What? Okay, now, do I think that Valentina Shevchenko is going to win this? Yes. And I think she'll do it fairly smoothly. Do I think that Jessica I should be a minus or a plus nine hundred? I don't know that I'd put her a plus nine hundred against Amanda Nunes, Joe. Wow. wow. Uh, it would be probably plus six hundred. Probably real healthy underdog there. Plus nine hundred. She's not beating up mannequins out there, Joe. Very true. Very true. But. Valentina Shevchenko, in her last fight with Amanda Nunes, should have had her hand raised in victory. And we're talking about Amanda Nunes as the best female fighter on the planet. A little asterisk there. A little asterisk there. Valentina Shevchenko potentially is the best female fighter on the planet. Yeah, real arguable too. Yeah, and Jessica I is now fighting, quote-unquote, the best female fighter on the planet. Yeah, the odds are a little bit wide, but Shevchenko will win. Should win this fight. I'm not gonna say will. I can't predict anything. So should win this fight. I mean, I very well could have been cut multiple times from the UFC. She just had an insane losing streak, and she was fighting top level bantamweights: Alexis Davis, Sarah Kaufman, Pena, Misha Tate, Sarah McMahon. Uh, not Petchkoheya. She doesn't count. She sucks. Oh, but my thing is. Jessica I has not finished anybody since, I think, Leslie Smith. Mm-hmm. And I think before that, it was Zoila Frosto. So we're talking six years. Yeah. I don't like it if it gets to the championship rounds for Jessica I. Maybe I'm wrong. But the thing is, I haven't seen her there. I haven't seen her there because she hasn't seen her there. She's never been past that. She's made it through three rounds and done just fine, but... Valentina Shevchenko is somebody that uh, we know can go the distance and has with regularity, did with Joanna, did with Amanda Nunes, did with Holly Holm. So we've seen Shevchenko do it. She's done it with the greatest strawweight of all time at flyweight. She's done it with the greatest bantamweight of all time. And like, uh, you could say two of the best featherweights of all time. Doesn't matter the weight. Doesn't matter how big they are. Valentina Shevchenko can make it work in the championship rounds for better or for worse. Uh, just the the trajectory that she has been on since that Holly home fight has been amazing. Uh, I, I 
I can't say enough good things about Valentina Shevchenko. And hopefully uh, that fight with Priscilla Kishwara gets stopped in time for this fight to start Saturday because I'm pretty sure that Valentina Shevchenko is still in the cage punching Priscilla Kishwara somewhere. That was a terrible booking, but anyways. It was. Main event time. Henry Cejudo is actually the underdog at plus 110 against Marlon Marias, a minus 130. This for the vacant UFC Bantamweight Championship. And uh, dare I say that TJ Dillashaw, <laughs> he was true to his word, Joe. He said he was going to kill the flyweight division, didn't he? Yeah. And he found a way to do it. Correct. He had to take EPO to do it, but God damn it, he did it, Joe. <laughs> Marlon Marias, Henry Cejudo, it's a hell of a fight, Joe, especially considering I don't know what, what switch just flipped in Henry Cejudo after the Demetrius Johnson fight. Yeah. But you know, I kind of made light of that in the months after. That was shortly before Fight for Launch, and I thought I thought that was an embarrassing performance at, from Cejudo. He clinched or uh, Demetrius Johnson clinched with an Olympic gold medalist wrestler, got taken down, said, nah, this ain't it and then decided to spam knees over and over again. We just embarrassed him. Next time we saw Henry Cejudo, he should have beaten Joseph Benavidez. We've joked about that, about how I picked Benavidez, but he shouldn't have won. But his hands looked so good. And since then, I I don't know that I've seen such a marked improvement from a title loss to another loss as we saw with Henry Cejudo between the, the Johnson and Benavidez fights. Like, that was... His stock increased with a loss after another loss. It was unbelievable to the point to where in we're talking about him becoming a double champion right here, Joe. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Is that enough for him to overcome what Marlon Marias can provide? We're talking about a five foot four guy uh, competing at bantamweight. Now Marias is five foot six, I think. Uh, I don't know that the reach is that significant, maybe three inches. How do you see this one? Well, let me ask you a quick question before I give you my final prediction here. Um, in 2017, UFC 212, Marlon Marais lost to Rafael Asensio by a split decision. Pretty sure you and I scored it for Marlon Marais. Yes, we did. Therefore, he hasn't lost since 2011. That's 2019. That's eight years. This guy is an absolute destroyer. And all things considered, his last three fights all ended in the first round. Aljamain Sterling, Jimmy Rivera, Rafael Asensio. I think Marlon Morales walks away with the victory in this fight here. And I know Henry Cejudo did what he did to Mighty Mouse in the rematch. Did what he did to TJ Dillashaw in his last fight. Did what he did against Sergio Pettis. But TJ Dillashaw, you can say all you want about the EPO. Maybe we should start thinking about... Maybe that weight cut was really, really bad and there was no fluid left around his brain and he was susceptible to a knockout by a guy who punches pretty hard at 125 pounds. Now, take no stock away from Henry Cejudo's victory. Not saying that. I'm just saying look, look, just look at everything that's leading up to this. I think Marlon Morales put some, put some gold around his waist this weekend. Well, it's time for the UFC 238. I got five on it picks. A little bit of background here. These are underdog betting flyer picks. Lines that I think are so ridiculous, it's worth putting $5 on. 
I got to go to start off that line, Jessica I plus 900. Valentina Shevchenko minus 1375. I think Shevchenko is winning this, but I can't put the slip on a banana peel out of the realm of possibility, Joe. I can't do it. Plus <laughs> 900? That's a, that's an unbelievable line. So is plus 600 for Nina Ansaroff. She beat Claudia Gedalia. And we got Tatiana Suarez at minus 900. Do I think Suarez will win? I do. Do I think that line is just insane? I do. Nina Ansaroff at plus 600. And then we got Jimmy Rivera at plus 250. He's a guy who's competed at the high levels of the Bantamweight division for a while. Peter Yan is a guy who's trying to compete at those high levels of the Bantamweight division. I, you know, I, I probably have Peter Yan winning this fight. But you got Jimmy Rivera as a guy who's beaten Uriah Faber and Thomas Almeida and John Dodson and Yuri Alcantara and Pedro Munoz, uh, Brian Kelleher even. Like, he's beaten those guys. Peter Yan is a guy who is really emerging and beat John Dodson and uh, Silva D'Andrade. But I think that I think that uh, having that line set at plus 250 for Jimmy Rivera, it's not giving him the respect he deserves. Either way, I'll be here after UFC 238 this weekend. Our pick'em will be up as well this week. Check it out. Joe, what do you got going on this week? Same old, same old. Catching up for my trip from Japan. So a lot of stuff to catch up on. Soccer, hope it doesn't rain here because weather sucks here still. Uh, coaching tonight. Then I got the York 9 stuff uh, tomorrow. Coach, or We have a game Thursday. Uh, and lots of MMA stuff to, to catch up on. I got lots of... Uh, it sucks that I didn't have Wi-Fi. I wanted to read half our site and catch up on uh, even some boxing stuff because I missed the – I caught highlights of the boxing but with uh, Ruiz. Uh, but, yeah, lots of stuff to catch up on. Guys, thank you all so much. Leave us a thumbs up. Share our video. I can't tell you how much that helps. We're still growing uh, on the MMA side. Until next time, we're out. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.